Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're in the midst of a series right now called Alive. Would you say Alive with me, please? Come on, Alive. And as we take a look at this series, this series is more than just a great name or a great theme. I believe that it's God's prophetic word to you as an individual, to us as a church and to us as a nation. Because I believe that God's speaking to us as a people. He's looking down upon your life and he understands the world in which you live. He understands the times and seasons in which we live. He looks down and he sees our country and he sees the nation. He sees global turmoil. He sees the different things that are going on. And I believe that if you were to ask him what's on his heart today, it would be that his people would live life alive. And when we take a look at the times and the seasons in which we live right now, it's unusual times. It's volatile times. It's not life as usual. It's not church as usual. It's not business as usual. And God wants to get our attention to help us recognize that, listen, there are things that are going on around us right now that are significant. Unlike any other time in history, you look at the volatility of every sector of our society. You look at the political arena, the educational arena, the moral arena, the financial. You look at everything that's going on in the media world. And you look at stuff that's happening in our uh, schools and our families and all around us. And we recognize, guys, that there is something significant that is happening. And the Bible says this, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, like he is, it says that the spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against it. And if you're anything like me, as you take a look at this particular season and you look at all of the pressures And all of the things that have come your way to bombard your life. If we're not careful, it can put us into a retreat mentality. It can put us into a place where we just kind of put on the the survival switch. To where if we can just get through this season. If we can just kind of take a few steps back and bunker down. And hide for just a few minutes or a few days or a few months. Or maybe just a couple years. If we can just get through this season. Then maybe life will be wonderful again. And maybe life will be easy again. And so we all kind of bunker down. The reality is, is that's not God's will for your life. We have prayed and we have cried out that God would bring revival to our nation. That God would help us to touch our city. And when you take a look at what's going on around us, it is beginning to shake our culture at the core. Because it is getting people to a place where they realize that everything that they have placed their hope or their trust in falls apart. And the only thing left is God. And if we find ourselves in a place of retreat, we might miss the very reason of the trials that we're facing, the season in which we're living. And God wants us to recognize that this is our time. 
This is our hour. This isn't about retreating. It's not about stepping back and hiding and holding all your money and your time and your energy and just kind of closing the curtains on God and society. Come on. This is the time for us to live life alive. Can I hear an amen? Come on. Jesus said this. He said, I have come. It's the reason he came. To give you life and to give you life more abundantly. He didn't come just to save you. He didn't come just to meet your needs. He came to give you abundant life. He came to give us life to the full. And so when we look at this series, that's exactly what I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right here, right now, in our church, in our cities, and in our nations. That we would learn to live life alive. And again, if you'd put this up on the screen, I just want to read this because when you look at all of the scriptures in the Bible that have to do with this idea about alive, it means simply this. It means to be full of life. Not half full. Not 15 sixteenths full. It means to be so full that you're overflowing. That when God shows up and begins to touch your life, it's not just to make you happy. And it's just not to make you whole. But that you will be so full that there's surplus that flows out over you and into society and into the broken hearts and lives of people. It means to be full of life. It means to be full of activity in motion. In other words, we're just not kind of dormant, but we actually are so full that we want to do something, not just sing about it and preach about it and pray about it and talk about it, but we're actually doing something because there's something inside of us that just gets us so excited and we just can't handle it anymore that we just got to go tell someone about how good God is and the wonderful things that he can do in your life and the way that he can do miracles. Is someone with me this morning? Living life to the full. And today we're going to take the next step in a journey. As we've talked about a couple things that God wants to revive in your life. Last week, Pastor Frank talked about reviving our heart. And how God wants to come and begin to touch and to do something significant in your inner being. In regards to you and who you are. Today we're going to take another step in our journey. And we're going to talk about renewing our strength. We're going to be talking about renewing our strength. Because listen to me. I believe that there has been something that the enemy has robbed in this season from believers across this nation. And it's their strength. It's their faith. It's their trust. Something has shifted in our culture. And it's just kind of put a little bit of a fog, if you've noticed, a fog in our culture today where everybody's just trying to figure stuff out. Even us, we've been robbed somewhat of some strength. And again, that's not God's will. And when we talk about strength, and again, I'm going to define it in a second here. We're not talking about some kind of strength that you can get on your own. In other words, it's not the strength that you get when you go to the gym, you know, by doing a couple more reps. It's not that kind of strength. It's not the strength that you get by, by drinking a five-hour energy drink or sitting down and drinking a 12-pack of Red Bulls or eating a box of Power Bars. I mean, it's a strength that you can't get in the natural arena of your life. When you look at the Bible and you look at times and seasons of turmoil and tragedy 
and you take a look at what's happening, God begins to blow supernaturally upon his people. And there's something that happens inside of you that can only be, uh, that can only take place by the Holy Spirit. And when we look at this, this area of strength, it's simply this. It's divine enablement. In other words, ordinary people that are touched by God that do extraordinary exploits. I'll say it again. Ordinary people like you and me that are touched by God to do extraordinary exploits. And the reason why he comes, that, that, that divine enablement comes, it supersedes your talents, your abilities, and your passions. It may come to empower them, but it supersedes them. And when it comes and touches you, it's this undiluted, uh, pure, and I love this word, unstoppable power that allows you to move the kingdom of God forward in your world and nothing can stop it. I'm talking about a strength that God wants you to have in your life right here and right now. And if you were to just step back, and again, if you get one thing out of this morning, the big ideas, I talk about this revived strength, it would be this, your revived strength. It would be that God desires to revive our strength, renew our passion and faith, so that we would fulfill his purposes in our lives and in our church and in our world. We've got to be careful in American or Western Christianity that we don't try to simply receive something from God to build just us up. That is a byproduct. And thank God that we receive favor and blessing and peace and joy. But they are all a means to an end. When God's strength comes upon you, it's not to make you happy and whole. It's to give you divine enablement to fulfill the purposes of God upon your life. Every single one of you have a purpose. You are significant in God's eyes. He placed you here on planet Earth for a reason. And he wants to come and empower you to go do great things for him. And so God is breathing upon his people in this day and age because he wants to strengthen us and open up our eyes to see that, listen, I'm moving upon this earth. This thing is not out of my control. I'm doing something significant right now. He wants to awaken our eyes. He wants to help us to live life alive and to have the strength that we need to move forward in him. And so today we're going to look at a portion of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to look at the life of Jehoshaphat. Now again, this chapter has 37 verses, so I'm not going to be able to read through them all. But let me give you a summary of this story. Let me set the stage for you of where we're going to go. Jehoshaphat was one of the eight kings that the Bible says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. There were 38 kings, 19 in Israel, 19 in Judah. And these 38 kings, for the most part, didn't follow the ways of the Lord. We're talking about centuries of history. But there were eight of these kings that decided to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Therefore, as they followed him, there was favor, there was blessing, there was prosperity, there was peace upon the people of that land. 
Jehoshaphat was one of those guys. And for about 25 years, he started king as 35 years old, served till he was about 60. For the most of his reign, he enjoyed the favor of God and the peace of God and the joy of God. But one of the problems that comes along with favor and peace and prosperity and blessing is that we can forget sometimes where it came from. And what happens is our fervency to pursue God and our dependence in God ultimately can lean us towards our independence from God because we just get complacent and we allow mixture into our lives. Jehoshaphat did this. And he was in a season of his life where he was enjoying just the favor and the peace of God. He actually had some mixture in his life. He began to entertain some relationships with some other kings, King Ahab. He actually allowed his son to marry King Ahab's daughter. They began having feasts together. They even decided to go to war together. And before he knew it, all of a sudden the favor of God was pulled off of his life. And word came that there was some enemies from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir that were on their way. It wasn't some imminent threat. They were on their way. They were coming to kill him. And it it shocked him. It put him into a place of terror where he began to assess his condition. And it woke him up. I mean, it was a wake-up call. And he called together the people of, uh, all of the people of his, of his kingdom. And he began to talk about what they were going to do and called them to a fast and brought them to the temple and told them to pray. And he began to make some immediate adjustments in his life that saved him from disaster. And the cool thing about this story, the way it ends, is that there was an overwhelming victory. He chose to make some decisions right in the midst of the tension that turned everything around. And what's cool about it, as you read the story, is that he didn't have to do anything about it. The Lord said, hey, listen, you don't even need to fight. All you need to be is still and watch me take these guys out. And they stood back. God showed up, killed all the enemy. They had plunder for three days. They went in and took stuff out of the valley. They actually call it the Valley of Blessing. And it finishes with this great, great, great story of these guys being jubilant and going into, uh, into the city uh, excited about what happened and what God did in their life. It's a great story. But here's the key about this story is that Jehoshaphat did four strategic things in order to turn things around. And I am convinced that these four things apply to you and me in our life right here and right now. And again, I know that we all come from different walks of life. We're all at different levels of spiritual maturity, different seasons of life. Some of you are in retirement. Some of you have recently come to Christ and wondering where to get a job and anywhere in between. The reality is, is this, is that there's something here for you today. God wants to touch your heart and your spirit with some truths here that will help to revive your strength for the season in which we live. And so I want to look at these four things this morning, four critical points. The first thing, the first truth that Jehoshaphat did in this situation is that he understood his condition. This is important. Jehoshaphat, if you read in your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2, it says this. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army 
from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They were already in motion. They were already coming his way. And the first thing that he did was he understood his condition. He realized that there were some things that needed adjustment in his life. And he went specifically to God's word and God's principles to say, okay, help me understand where I'm at. You want to see change in your life. The first thing that you've got to recognize is where you are at. And when you look at our condition today, you know, our nation isn't much different than the times of Jehoshaphat. Come on, you go back 200 years. We are a nation known in the history books as a nation of prominence and power, the favor of God, peace. I mean, before 9-11, there was just, there was no such thing as terrorism and things happening on the soil of our land. And there was great favor. You know, God truly shed his grace on thee. But you know what's happened is that the church as a whole has got somewhat complacent. We've enjoyed the blessings of God and our dependence in him has somewhat turned into an independence from him. About a hundred years ago, there was a man, his name was William Booth, the one who started the Salvation Army. And he prophesied right at the turn of the century, late 1800s, about the 21st century church. I believe he had a word from the Lord, but he said this about us today. He said six things will dominate this generation. He says they will have religion without the Holy Spirit. They will have forgiveness without repentance. They'll have conversion without new birth. Christianity without Christ. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. Now, when you go back to the word of God and you look at what the Holy Spirit represents and what forgiveness is and what repentance is and what conversion is and who Christ is and what heaven and hell is all about, and you begin to realize that this prophecy is kind of true. Now, I understand that every single one of us here, we come at, we're at different levels of our journey, as I mentioned earlier. Some of you have come in this morning and maybe you don't know Christ and maybe you're on a journey just trying to figure things out. And that's wonderful. Thank you that you're here. There's some of you here today that maybe have recently given your life to Christ and you're real excited and you're trying to figure out what the old test and the new test is and what's this book about a job. And I mean, you're excited about the things of God and you're trying to figure it all out. That was a joke. Thank you for laughing. And so, but you're trying to figure stuff out. Man, amen. That's awesome. Some of you here, if we could be brutally honest, you've been saved for a long time. You've kind of been a little bit like Jehoshaphat. You know, just, you know, you've kind of risen to a level of success and stability and your life's together, your marriage is together, your kids are growing up and wear a cute little skirt. You got a dog and a white picket fence. And, you know, even though we're having some, you know, some kind of tension, you know, life is still good. And I'm a Christian and I love God, but somehow you've risen to a level where you said, that's about as far as I'm going to go. Maybe you haven't actually confessed that, but reality is prayer hasn't increased or serving, or you just kind of there, if we could be honest. Then there's about 16% of us 
as Brad Wagner um, in his book, Shape of Faith to Come, he did a survey nationally about born-again Christians. He said there are about 16% of those in the nation today that actually are passionately pursuing biblical principles and apply them to their life. And if you take a look at what he said, he said this. And these, these are some statistics that were taken actually from born-again Christians, a national, exhaustive national survey. And here are some things that we found out about our, our country and about those that would fill the pews of churches throughout our land. 54% of born-again Christians said that the Bible was written by the word of God. That means that 46% of born-again Christians say... I don't think it was written by God. Pretty staggering, pretty sobering. 58% salvation is found in Christ alone. 46% say that Christ might have committed sins while he was here on earth. 36%, I love this one. Not really, but it's amazing. 36% are open to respond to the teaching of their pastor. Did you just catch that? That means that there is another 64% that say, no matter what he says, I ain't changing nothing. 28% say that denying myself is a part of a Christian walk. That means that another, whatever that is, 72% say that that's not a part of it. 23% say, hey, I'm going to be willing to change. 77% say, listen, my beliefs are different than my behaviors. Seven out of 10 would say that my beliefs have nothing to do with my behavior. This is the lay of the land. 37% that the Bible's made a difference in their life. 69% different. They live a different life in the public life versus the personal. 40% say that God doesn't own my belongings. And 64% say that God's not my priority. Now, again, I know that there's probably no one here on any of our campuses that fit that mold. Because, you know, we're, of course, a very special people here at City Bible Church. But can we be honest with ourselves for a second? Do we have room to grow? Is there, is there maybe some kind of area of your life that you've just kind of settled into and have accepted as the norm? See, what Jehoshaphat did, he started by saying this, I'm going to do an assessment of my life. And maybe one of the reasons why I'm feeling so much pressure and so much fatigue and worriness and anxiety and depression or discouragement or fear is simply because I don't have enough of him in me to deal with the pressures what got you to where you're at today will not get you to where you need to be tomorrow. And with unusual times comes the need for unusual seeking of him. And so again, and I'm speaking to myself right now, Mark, we're talking to you. Come on. I've got room for improvement. I realize that my prayer time needs to be increased, that my word time needs to be increased, that my thought life needs to be in check, that my level of purity and holiness needs to be scrutinized. Come on. I want God to strengthen me. I want God to move through me. I don't want to live myself on automatic stupid. So we've got to start with this first place, and that is let's be honest. And let's understand our condition. 
just like Jehoshaphat did. The second thing that Jehoshaphat did was this, is that he realized the enemy's position. He realized the enemy's position. Once he recognized what was going on in his world, he began to recognize that enemy that was coming his way. And again, going back to your Bible in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 2 and 3, it says this. Speaking of the enemy coming, it says, They are already at Hazazon Tamar. And it says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Listen, his theology moved into reality. It wasn't just this distant thing that there are people that don't like me and that they live in distant lands. They were around the corner. There was dust on the horizon and they were coming his way. It wasn't that they just existed. The reality was they were now in his face. And the reality of the enemy had a shocking effect in his life. We've got to recognize something again. One of the dangers in American Christianity is that we underestimate the power of the devil. He becomes a symbol or even society today makes him this cute little thing that sits on your shoulder and the devil made me do it, you know? And so there's all of this stuff and we've got songs that sing out, you know, I'm on a highway to hell. And so our society dilutes this thing called evil in the enemy. Now, I don't want to give him more credit than do his name. But the reality is there's a real devil and he wants to destroy your life. I believe that there's actually demons that are assigned to your life. They know your weaknesses. They know exactly how you behave. And it's why you struggle in certain areas so much is because the devil knows your weaknesses. The Bible says this, it says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Personalize that for a moment. It's not a theology. It's not some kind of distant deal. He is in your face 24-7 wanting to destroy your life. The Bible goes on to say in Revelation 12, it says that Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth, speaking of you and me, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. The darker it gets, the more that God moves towards the end of time, the more that the enemy, like a rabid dog backed into the corner, begins to just spew his venom upon society. And listen, uh, By the way, he's after you. Because if he can stop the seed, he can stop the message. Are you with me? So he comes to intimidate and he comes to rob. He comes to minimize, reduce. I just put some of the attributes of the enemy here. To destroy. He wants to rob you of vision, spiritual strength, faith, hope, peace, joy, passion, zeal. His joy is to completely defeat defeat you and deflate you to a place of isolation, fatigue, weariness, depression, discouragement. He wants to get you into a corner. He wants you to close the shades. He wants you just to retreat. Because if he can get you into a place of thinking that it's just better to hold back, he's done his job and he's won. 
It's like a boa constrictor. Every time that someone breathes, if they're being choked out by a boa constrictor or an animal, every time that you exhale, that boa constrictor tightens. I think that's what's happening in our culture today. What's happening in our society, little by little, he's just restricting, robbing you of strength and joy. And all of a sudden you start feeling worry and it's starting to affect you physically. And all of a sudden you're getting ulcers and you can't sleep at night and you're staring at tiles. And all of a sudden your world just begins to spin. She's strangling you, strangling you, choking you out. In fact, I believe that there's someone here today. There's people here today. You're sitting in one of our services and you feel so strangled that it's affecting you physically. You've got headaches, ulcers, maybe panic attacks. And I believe that there's a break. I'm going to just stop the service for a second. You're here this morning and that's you. And you feel that there's something that is restricting you. Would you do me a favor on any campus? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray and believe that God, right? Come on, guys. This is church. I'm going to believe right here and right now that God is going to break something off of your life where there's going to be new freedom. We are going to cut that boa constrictor thing off of your life and you're going to be set free. Come on. He who knows the truth, the truth will set him free. If that's you, would you stand on any of the campuses? This isn't saying that there's sin in your life. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you at 217. Thank you. Come on. This is what it's about. Let's believe God right now in this service right here that God's going to come and show up and break something off of these people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rocky Butte. Thank you. Would you do me a favor, church? And this is what church is all about. We're not here just to to, to watch. We're here to participate. Would you stretch your hands towards someone? And would you agree with me in prayer that something's going to break right now in this place? Now, Father, we come. And Lord, we take authority over every principality and power in the name of Jesus that would come to restrict or to bind or to bring depression or discouragement upon any person that is standing right now. Father, we pray right now that you would release, Father, your strength and your power upon their life. And Lord, we're praying today that you would move in a supernatural way, whatever it is that binds them, the spirit of fear or anxiety or worry or depression. Lord, any kind of physical ailment that is coming to their body right now. Come on. We break it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that you would come and infuse them with a new power. And as they leave here today, God, that they would leave refreshed and they would live renewed, God, that you actually showed up and touched their life. Come on, God. Come on. We believe it today, Lord. Come on. You're breaking something in this place right Right here and right now, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we believe. We believe in Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. Come on. Jehoshaphat. He understood his condition. We need to understand our condition. He realized the enemy's position. Here's where it gets good and where it starts to get real exciting. 
Because the third thing that he did was this, is that he embraced God's position. By the way, there's a God. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's not some Buddha on some kind of mantle somewhere. He's the King of Kings. He's alive forevermore. He holds the keys of hell and death. He's in complete control. Thank you. I got one person excited about the King of Kings. Come on. Now listen to what Jehoshaphat did. He began to acknowledge some things before the breakthrough. Before the victory, he's seen, there's still dust on the horizon, by the way. Here they're coming. Ah, they're running towards him. He's realizing his condition. He sees the enemy's position. He realizes that this thing is out of his control. And so he does four things. He acknowledges God's position. He proclaims his authority. He declares his past victories. And he stands on God's promises. And you can read every one of these scriptures for yourself a little bit later on. But you see that he begins to proclaim things. He, he prophesies them over his life. He speaks them into existence. He, he speaks faith into his circumstance. He doesn't allow his circumstances to squander his faith, but he allows his faith to squander his circumstances. Oh, now that's going to someone right now. Come on. Yeah. Listen to this. He acknowledges God's position. He says, you alone, verse six, are God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms on earth. You are powerful and mighty. I love this. No one can stand against you. Whatever you're facing, you look at it and you just say, man, I serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is nothing that can stand against the will of God in my life. It's what he started doing, but they're still coming. Shush. He declares his authority. Verse seven. Oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land? When your people Israel arrived, he starts talking about the authority. Wait a minute. They're coming, but sooner or later you're going to show up because you've done it in the past. You'll surely do it in the future. And then he begins to talk about his promises. And I love this scripture in verse nine. He says, we can cry out to you to save us for you truly will help us and rescue us. Despite what I see, despite what's going on in your world right now, God is going to show up. Listen to me. It's God's position. You can't see it. You don't feel it, but you know what? Truth is not based upon what you feel. It's a fact. Well, I don't feel, doesn't matter how you feel. The fact of the matter is, is that God will never leave or forsake you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Come on, I am an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Christ. Come on, God is on my side. Speak it into your circumstance. Stand in God's position. Embrace it for your life and for your world and say, yes, God, I can't see it. Here they come. Ah! And you just look at it and you speak to it. And you shut it down by the power of God. It's not your words, but it's the spoken word of God towards those circumstances that shut it down.
It's Bible. I mean, you go through and you see David. I mean, people are wanting to kill him and stone him. And it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. In other words, he bunkered down and you read throughout the Psalms. He speaks to himself all the time. I tell myself, praise the Lord. I mean, he's always speaking to himself and he's proclaiming things. We've got to do the same thing. And here's where the rubber hits the road. Come on, tell me what the three things are. The first thing we need to do is to recognize. We need to recognize our condition. Awesome, you guys are good. The second thing we need to do is realize the enemy's position. The third thing we need to do is embrace God's position. Now, here's the kicker. This is the takeaway. It's really this simple. Is that you need to solidify your decision. See, because everything that I've preached so far and these truths in the Bible will do you no good unless you apply them to your life. Impartation without application is fantasy. God will never honor you based upon your intentions, but simply upon your actions. And so when we get something like this and we look at God's word and we say, okay, I understand that I'm kind of like this and I feel like my strength has been weakened and I really need to make some changes and I recognize my condition and the enemy and it finally comes down to what are we going to do about it? This is the colossal breakdown of Western Christianity today is we come in 52 weeks out of the year and receive something, but we leave and never apply it. We don't make the changes. Maybe we don't see the enemy enough. Maybe there's not enough challenge to say, I better start praying more. I better start reading my word more. I got to fix my thought life or turn off my computer or love my wife more. Really, I mean, whatever it is. Come on, guys. Something to say, God, grab a hold of me. Grab a hold of my behavior, not my beliefs but my behavior and help me to solidify my decision. And here's what Jehoshaphat did. There are five practical things. The first thing that you need to do is you need to position yourself properly. Immediately when he recognized the enemy coming, he called everybody together for a fast They fell on their face and they begin to pray. They realized that they had lived too long in a place of co-partnering with God. And there was an alignment issue. And instead of using him and privatizing his faith and calling him in occasionally when he needed him. He said, you know what? I better get under him. Because if I get under him, that's where the strength comes. It's where protection comes. It's where blessing comes. And if we're out here, the shower's over here and we're wondering why we're not getting wet. It's because you need to get under him. You know, in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it's, it's a great verse that many of us know. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. A couple things that he says, if you'll do these things, I'll bring healing to your land. One of the words there, it's pretty fascinating, that has to do with positioning yourself properly. He says, if you'll humble myself, he's talking about a position issue here. 
The word humble actually means to position yourself in the form of a beggar. To position yourself in the form of a beggar. And if you've ever seen anybody and go into a third world country and watching these little kids begging, when you catch their eyes, there's one message that's very clear. They want you to understand that you are their sole source of survival. That's what that word means. We've got to get to a place where we position ourselves and say, God, only you. Man, if you don't show up like Moses, man, if you don't show up, I can't go any further. God, you've got to come and you've got to show up in my world, in my life. I realize without you, I can do nothing. But with you, all things are possible. It's an alignment issue. And when we understand the alignment issue, what happens? Strength comes. Supernatural empowerment because you realize you don't have anything to do with it. You can't change tomorrow. You can't change your circumstance. Can't beat on your chest or breathe in a brown paper bag or hyperventilate. Doesn't matter. 20 push-ups. It's not going to change. Only he can change it. And when we do that, we find that God comes and strengthens us. Second thing that we need to do is trust in God's word completely. And you look at the word here in, in verse 15. It says, this is what the Lord says. It didn't say this is what Jehoshaphat says. It says, this is what the Lord says. And I like this. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Come on, that could speak to someone right here today. It says, by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Come on, let go. Let go of the problem. Let go of the things that are bringing worry upon your life and bringing pressure upon your life. Listen, it says that the battle is the Lord's. Put it at his feet and then go do life. Because when you worry about it, like Jesus says, says, no, take no thought for tomorrow because it will take care of itself. Don't worry about tomorrow. He's saying, listen, don't let it kill you. You're not going to change it. Position yourself. Trust in my word completely. Number three, praise God sacrificially. This is a great season for us. We believe in prayer. We believe in worship. We believe that the presence of God comes down. This is a time. This whole series, what we've been talking about, it's a time for us to begin to receive more from him, meaning increasing our prayer and increasing our worship, maybe even fasting every once in a while. That'd be a novel idea. You want strength. Your level of supernatural strength has everything to do with your level of supernatural activity. God, help us to be sacrificial. Then we got to put the results in God's hands entirely. Because he's the one that's going to do it. And then lastly, we, and this is the best part of the story, walk in victory overwhelmingly. Listen to me. That last statement is God's will for your life. God's will is that you walk in victory. God wants you to triumph. God wants you to live Life to the full. He wants you to live life alive. He wants you to have abundance. And I'm convinced that what God is speaking to us as a church and what he's speaking to you as an individual and what he's saying to our nation is the enemy's coming, but there's still time to turn it around. All that's needed for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing, as Winston Churchill said. 
if I could beseech you this morning, is to not take this season, what Pastor Frank is sharing, what we're trying to do, as another Sunday message. Please, please, please. But if we could just recognize our condition as individuals, look at our nation, look at our world today, realize that God has placed you and me in this day, in this age, to be his weapons of war, to be his battle axe, to be the ambassadors of Christ, to be his voice, to be his hands, to be his heart. That's why we're here. It's not about us being happy. It's not about us being whole. It's about that working through us in order that we might touch this world for Christ.